Welcome to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. I'm your host, Bo Smolka, along with my co-host, former Ravens tight end, Daniel Wilcox. And for the Ravens, it is now the offseason. Of course, they did not make the playoffs at 8-9, and nine, and the offseason always a time of change. Players come and go, and sometimes coaches come and go. And for the Ravens this week, uh, defensive coordinator Don Wink Martindale is gone. The Ravens and Wink Martindale, in a statement, said that they would quote, agree to move forward in separate directions. You can read into it whatever you want, but clearly the Ravens will have a new defensive coordinator this year. A little bit about Wink Martindale. He came to the Ravens in 2012 as the linebackers coach. He was promoted to the defensive coordinator in 2018, and this is something the Ravens have pretty much always done. They, When one defensive coordinator leaves, in that case it was Dean Pease, uh, they promote from within. It's what they've almost always done at that position. And Wink Martindale's defense was number one in the league in 2018 overall. They were top 10 in 2018, 2019, and 2020. This year, things kind of fell apart for that defense. Uh, the injuries to Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey and Deshaun Elliott and Derek Wolf and LJ Fort, and you can go on and on. And the defense just struggled from the start. They ended up finishing last in the league in passing and last in the league in yardage allowed. There were other things that may have been at play uh, with this defense. There was miscommunication issues. There were tackling issues. But a lot of people might point to the injuries and say, wow, you know, Wink Martindale probably should have gotten a little bit of a cut a little slack there. I mean, the guy had to play with half a deck the entire year. But for whatever reason, the Ravens are moving on from Don Wink Martindale. Daniel Wilcox, I want to ask you, were you surprised by this change and why do you think that it happened? I was definitely surprised. I, I felt like, I mean, just like you just named, Bo, I mean, you, all the injuries, like how do you fire a guy when you lose your entire defense, you know, your, your, all your starters, right? And you even lose your, your, you know, your nose tackle at one point, you lose Clayus Campbell at one point, you know, I mean, you had so many freaking injuries this year. How do you blame anything on the defensive coordinator? You know, I and mean, you can only do so much. And, you, and the defensive staff can, too. Um, unfortunately, when you have a year like this, and nobody prepares for anything like that, you know. So at the end of the day, I think as a head coach, you have to make some major decisions. I think hiring and firing of coaches can make you and break you as a head coach. You know, who you hire, super important. Who you fire, super important. Wink Martindale, I, I don't think, me personally, I don't think it's one of the guys you should fire um, I think the Ravens have notoriously been known to be a defensive powerhouse. And I think he's kind of kept that tradition going for Baltimore, you know, under Harbaugh. And I think if you can keep that tradition going, you know, knowing that the Ravens have always been a freaking Mecca for defensive players and defensive MVPs and defensive guys that just, you know, explode on the scene and everybody wants your players because your, your schemes are that great. You know, it gets, it, you give your players a chance to do what they do best underneath the Ravens' defensive scheme. And I think we can, Wink Markendale has done a great job, man. I really do. I feel bad that somebody like his and him of his caliber would be out of there. He, he reminds me of Rex Ryan, right? You know, Rex Ryan would just, you know, he always gave us so much energy, just fun to be around, just, you know, free-flowing guy, you know, speaks to all the players, just fun. Um, you know, I, I remember being in the offensive meeting rooms and hearing the music play so loud in the defensive meeting room. You're like, man, and you hear everybody bust out laughing in the defensive meeting room. And we over here like, 
you know, this is the X and this is the O guys. And, you know, it's like we in freaking back in Stanford, freaking, you know, like, in, in you know, getting a, a whole session from the professor over here. And then over in defense, it's not like they in the bar. And, you know, they go out and play that that way. You know, they went out and played like hands down. They, they they ran through brick walls for Rex Ryan. And I think guys were doing the exact same thing for Wink Martindale. You know, he was one of those guys that the players love to be around and love to play for. You know, um, I still have a jacket that Rex Ryan gave me. I'm an offensive guy, you know, but I won't get rid of the jacket. It's too big for me. You know, Rex was a bigger guy. So <laughs> I, won't, I won't even get rid of the jacket. Man, I just I just feel like it's a Rex Ryan coat. It's an awesome coat to have. And, um, you know, it's Wink is one of those guys that I think the players love. And this can really I think it can really hurt you as a staff or, you know, you can go back and get Rex Ryan out of retirement and maybe it could help you as a staff. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's one of those things, man, where you look at and, and the defense was still number one in, in rushing. You know, they stopped the rush better than any other team in the league this year. Right. You know, so if you can stop the rush. That's what the Ravens have always been known for. I mean, each month I giving up 85 yards in the NFL rushing. But at the same time, I guess you have to look at that like it's no longer a running league anymore. It's a passing league, right? You know, back when Rex was there, everybody was trying to run the ball down your throat. Now everybody's trying to throw the ball over your heads and you give up more passing yards than anybody else in the league this year. You know, I guess that would be a major issue. But how can it be a truly major issue with all your DBs down? This was a extreme situation. And I, I don't think that he was the guy that if anybody should have been fired, I don't think it was weak, me personally, you know, but and I, I think some players will be upset about it. I think a lot of players will be upset about it because I think it was a lot of love from inside out when it comes from the players to that to that guy as a as a defensive coordinator. At the end of the day, it's John Harbaugh's team. You got to respect the decision that your head coach make. But that don't mean you have to agree with every decision that he makes either. You know, so I think it's going to be a lot of guys that's going to be hurt by it. And, and offended by it. and they they are gonna feel like man wink if i hadn't got hurt man you know this wouldn't happen you know and, and you know it's gonna be a lot of that there were a couple times and i i will say i was surprised by the move as well and you know it was a classic friday night news dump the ravens announced this about six o'clock on a friday night they clearly wanted to kind of bury the news to some extent with the playoff weekend coming up but there were a few times during the season and i remember at pittsburgh they gave up a pass, and, and John said something like, well, you know, when you play cover zero too many times, you go to that well too often, you're going to get burned or something. And it was one of the few comments that he made that really one of the few comments I can ever mm-hmm. remember him making that seemed kind of critical of his coordinators. And 80. it was so 80. unusual because it just uh, he doesn't do it very often. And so, and then in the before the Cincinnati game, Wink had made a comment about, well, Joe Burrow doesn't have a gold jacket yet, and that got the Bengals fired up. And I'm sure John didn't appreciate Wink giving bulletin board material to Joe Burrow, who then went out and just absolutely destroyed them. But again, the Ravens at that day that day in Cincinnati were playing practice squad call-ups, were playing almost the entire game at, at defensive back. So he, as I said, I, I just think Wink was dealt half a deck this year, and he did what he did with it. But the Ravens, for whatever reason, have decided they needed to make a change. You, you brought it up just a minute ago, and I will agree with you. Wink was beloved by players. They loved playing for the guy. Go back to your career and let me know, were there times that a coach got fired on your watch? And your th- As a player, do, do you feel guilty about it? Do you feel, are you upset? Do you think, hey, he's accountable, we're accountable, are all accountable? What's the mood of a player when one of your coaches gets fired? I mean, I think it's the same thing as a player getting fired, getting cut. You know, you, you don't expect it. It's always a shock. Um, and I think as being your coach, especially somebody that you actually love, 
you know, it hurts, you know, because if it's a really good coach, you know, he's, he's invited you into his home. You know, you've met his wife, you've met his daughters, his sons, you know, you're a part of his family and he's a part of yours, you know? So it's like losing a family member. It's like, it's like you waking up one day and your mom and dad is getting divorced. You know, somebody has to leave the house. You're going to stay with one of them, but the other one is gone. It doesn't mean you love the other one that's leaving any less. You love them just as much, you know, and, and that's, and that's what, you no, know, that's what NFL football is really all about. That's what football is about. It's about relationships, right? You know, you build relationships with your players and you build relationships with your coach and you guys become family and it hurts, you know, it hurts to lose somebody that you care about. And you're not going to always agree with every call that your defensive coordinator make, you know, but when you buy into him and you believe into his system, then it doesn't matter what he calls. You make that call work. You know, you make those zero blitzes work, those fire zone work. You do everything you can, you know, to make sure that he comes out on the back end of this thing looking great. At the end of the day, it's the player's responsibility to go play and to study and, and, and to put their best foot forward to understand the quarterback they're going against and the offense that they're going against and understanding the situations of, of, of what's going to be on the field. And um, it's the coach's, you know, job to remind you about all those situations and all the things that they're going to do to you. Wink, from from me, from the outside looking in, and I've been on the inside of those walls, you know, while he was there as well. Um, I just don't feel like, you know, getting rid of him is the right solution or the right answer right now at this moment for the Baltimore Ravens. Now, there may be some guys that I think, you know, you, know, you got to get rid of, but I, I would have never thought that Wink would have been a scapegoat. The, the thing that he said about Joe Burrow, you know, he didn't lie. <laughs> he, he didn't lie. He just said what was on his mind, what was on his heart. He might have said it with a little bit of frustration, and he should have been frustrated. Why wouldn't he be frustrated losing all your best players? You out here trying to figure it out. You know, your coach making sly remarks like, you know, one too many, zero blitz. You know, like it, all that stuff, all that stuff wears and tears. And you know what happens when that type of stuff happens? You know, these guys are human. You know, if I said something about you, Bo, in front of the whole world, and you thought it was a little shady, I might come to you and say, like, no, oh, and you might come to me, Bo, and be like, Wilcox, man, did you really have to say that in front of everybody? And then that conversation has to happen, right? And these are grown men, you know, so grown man to grown man, like, bro, like, won't you just come say something to me? Like, why would you say it in front of the whole world? You know, like, we supposed to, I mean, and, and you're no older than I am, you know, so it's not like I have to give you age respect and you, you 80 years old, I'm like, sir. Did you really have to say that, sir? You know, it's like, no, it's like, John, he like done. <laughs> he like, you know, like, what's up? And you have that grown man conversation amongst each other and it might not turn out well. It might not have turned out well, you know, so that conversation might have happened behind the scenes and nobody ever heard about it or whatever. It was one on one in Harbaugh's office and maybe they exchanged words that just wasn't that good. So the relationship been broken ever since, you know, you know, one mistake happens with another. You know what the song said? Two wrongs don't make a right. You know, so, I mean, at the end of the day, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Neither do I. And that relationship could have got broken early in the year against Pittsburgh. Well, that's a good point. And they we don't know what happened behind closed doors, but we do know what happened. And they've made the change. You, you just mentioned that it's really hirings. Uh, firings are really important. Who you hire is really important. We talked about how the Ravens have generally, in fact, almost always hired from within for their defensive coordinator job, um, mm-hmm. going back to. Chuck Pagano and Greg Madison and all the way back to the Marvin Lewis days. The Ravens internally, it would seem their top two candidates internally would be defensive line coach Anthony Weaver and 
uh, secondary coach Chris Hewitt, who at the time, a couple years ago, remember, Wink Martindale had the number one defense in the league and was interviewed for the New York Giants head coaching job. And there was speculation that if uh, Martindale went to New York, that Hewitt would become the defensive coordinator. Anthony Weaver has since joined the staff. He has defensive coordinator experience with Houston, so he would be a chance to do that if they stayed internally. One thing the Ravens might choose to go, maybe John Harbaugh chooses to go outside the organization and and come up with a more of a total situational reset of the of the entire defense. A couple names to look at in that respect. One is Dallas secondary coach Joe Witt, who has been uh, linked to defensive coordinator jobs as well in Seattle and with the New York Giants. This Dallas defense led the league in interceptions this year, and don't think that the Ravens didn't notice that because this team did not come up with enough interceptions this year. And another name to watch is Mike McDonald, who was a rising young coach with the Ravens, who then joined Jim Harbaugh's staff at the University of Michigan. He is highly regarded. John Harbaugh really likes him, and it wouldn't be out of the question to see him brought back to the organization as the defensive coordinator. The interesting thing, though, and you brought it up earlier, Daniel Wilcox, was that this is an organization that had had Ray Lewis and Terrell Suggs and Ed Reed and had all the, I mean, this the foundation of this organization is built on the defense. And in theory, that would be a dream job for a defensive coordinator. However, this is a team that's coming off, as I said, the 32nd ranked passing defense. You're probably losing Brandon Williams, possibly losing Calais Campbell. You don't know about Derek Wolf. You might be completely rebuilding the defensive line. You need to get edge rushers. Tyus Bowser uh, went had surgery for an Achilles injury right after the season. You're light on edge rushers. You don't really know what the defensive backfield situation is. You hope that Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters are going to be back and healthy. You don't know if Deshaun Elliott will be back and healthy. So there's a lot of lot of questions to this defense. And so coming in as a defensive coordinator now is a lot different than coming in when you have Ray Lewis in the middle of that defense or you have Ed Reed playing safety. But how attractive is this job as a defensive coordinator? I think as a defensive coordinator, I think this is a dream job for you. I mean, yeah, there's some pressure on it because of the fact that it's always been a defensive franchise, you know, but I I think if you're a defensive coordinator, this is a step up. This ain't a you know, it's not a step down or lateral move for anybody. I think anybody gets a chance to come in here and help rebuild a defense, a defense like the Baltimore Ravens. I think they come in with a win-win situation. You know, I really do. You know, it's, it's, this thing is all about personality and and personality um, changes and, and, and bringing in the right fit mentally, you know, for the Baltimore Ravens. So the guy that, that, that comes in here has to be a pit bull mentally. You know, he has to be vicious. You know, he has to be, he has to be always ready to attack. The Baltimore Ravens has never been a defense that sit back on their heels. They're always on the balls of their feet. They're ready to move side to side, and they're going to attack every single play. So whoever they bring in has to have that type of mindset. He got to have that dog mentality where we finna get out of your ass every single play. Also, his 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 personality has to fit in, you know, amongst the staff, you know, which is super, super important, you know, because – like I was saying, like one, you can say one thing wrong and all of a sudden people are looking at you funny. And then that one person starts it off and then he tells the next person and the next person is looking at you funny. Then the next person is looking at you funny. And then everything kind of unravels. And team chemistry is so important as players. It's super important as coaches, too. You know, they got to sit in meetings together all day long, every day. When the players are not meeting, they're still meeting. And the chemistry has to be there. 
And he has to be able to bring – he has to make some moves. He's going to be able to bring some guys in of his own. So, that means some more defensive fires are going to happen, you know, whether it's DB coaches, secondary coaches, safeties, corners, linebackers, freaking defensive line coaches. You know, you got all these different components of the defense. You have to be able to figure out all these different components, you know. So, whoever they bring in, they're either going to get rid of some guys that you're going to love or they're going to keep some guys that you're going to love and then bring in some new guys with them. Um, it has to be somebody that, that that comes in to be able to fit along with Harbaugh, who is uh, who has a, a like a, a, a genius mind of his own where he's, you know, sometimes he's really, really cold. Sometimes he's really, really hot, you know, so it's like you're going to you're going to love him some days. Then you're going to hate him some days, but you're going to have to be able to understand that personality, you know, because some days he's going to come in. He's going to say, hey, man, how's the wife? How's the kids? And then some days he might not talk to you at all. You know, so you're going to have to be able to handle that situation and you're going to have to know that. All right. That's just how he is. And it's just John being John. And hey, you know, he's going to call me out just like he's going to call the players out. My feelings can't get hurt because of it, because that's who he is. He's the head coach. It's his team. That's how he's always ran his franchise and his organization. And you're going to have to be able to fit in with it and suck your suck it up. And as a man, you have to take it and keep it moving. I, I think that would be the biggest issue with hiring outside the organization is as you said you, you don't you have to learn the chemistry and and then to your point if if a new person comes in outside the organization it is possible they'll want to bring in a couple of coaches and then there'd be more turnover john harbaugh has not yet spoken to the media since the season ended a lot of people are wondering about the status of greg roman and that has not changed and we will hear from greg, john harbaugh whenever we hear from him about the status of greg roman or any other coaches but it was notable that uh, Wink Martindale was relieved of his duties, as it were, when it happened on that Friday night, and he will not be back next year. All right, Daniel Wilcox, the other thing that everyone is talking about in the NFL this week is overtime, specifically the overtime rules after that remarkable game between the Chiefs and the Bills the other night. People will say it ended because the Chiefs won the coin flip. Um, the Chiefs win the coin flip. Mahomes does his what he does, and he marches his team right down the field, and they score. And Josh Allen never got the ball in overtime. Many, many people want to see that change so that both teams get the ball in overtime. Here's a statistic that the NFL uh, released yesterday, which is very interesting. Since 2010, when they changed the overtime rule in the playoffs so that a touchdown ended the game, but a field goal allowed the other team to have the ball. Uh, since that rule tweak, there have been 11 overtime games in the playoffs. The team winning the coin flip has won 10 of them. And in seven of them, the team winning the coin flip won on the opening drive. So that means in seven of those 11 games, one team didn't even touch the ball. What is your take on the overtime rule in the NFL? And should it, we'll get into the John Harbaugh spot and choose idea in a minute, but in general, what is your take on the NFL overtime rule? I think it sucks. I really do. I mean, I really do. I think it's the greatest league in the whole world. And I think it's the greatest game in the whole world. And I think it's so exciting to watch, you know, but as a fan, right? If you're a fan sitting in the stands and you've came and you've seen your team have the league the entire game, then Tom Brady comes down the field and does what Brady does, ties it up, sends your team into overtime. Now, all of a sudden, Brady gets the ball on a, on a flip of a coin. He gets the ball first. You know exactly what's about to happen. He's coming down the field. He's going to score this touchdown. Your team's never going to get a chance to even combat that at all. Like, you want to see some kind of – it should be a tennis match. It should be a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, at least 
give the other team a chance to have the ball. If they don't score, they kick a field goal, the game's over. You know, your team won by, you know, four points or whatever. But, I mean, I just, I, you know, I, I can remember being a rookie in the league and not really understanding what the overtime rules were. I mean, it was my, one of my first starts in the league. We went to Buffalo. I was with the New York Jets. We went to Buffalo to pay the Buffalo Bills. And Chad Morton was having one of those Devin Hester type years where he was returning kick after kick for touchdowns and stuff. And it was amazing. It was like you saw, I think we had like, I think he might've had three or four that year for touchdowns, but whatever it was, we went to Buffalo, went into overtime. They kicked off to us. Chad Morton caught the ball deep, returned the opening kickoff in overtime for a touchdown. And everybody went crazy. And I was like, what happened? What's wrong? What's going on? Like, they, I'm thinking the other team will get a chance to get the ball again because I'm fresh out of college, you know? And I'm thinking, all right, they're going to get a chance to get the ball and come back down and score. And the game was freaking over. And they never got a chance to touch the ball. And it's just, I just thought that was the craziest thing. First person score wins. It was like sudden death. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. And it all comes down to a coin flip at the end of the game. And that's a horrible feeling. I, I think it's a horrible feeling. The detractors or the supporters of it will say, hey, it's not just a coin flip because the Bills had a chance to stop them. But I think most people looking at that game saw two exhausted nah. defenses and the feeling was whoever won that coin tip was uh, the coin flip was going to win on the first drive of the game. And that's what happened. Of course, in college ball, each team starts with a possession at the 25 going in. You know, that's obviously an alternative to look at. Both teams get the ball at the 25. And and the way college does now, if it stays tight after a while, they start doing two-point conversions. That's even been brought up. Maybe the NFL should go to just two-point conversions for overtime where each team has a two-point conversion. I think people, some people like the idea of watching Mahomes and Allen and Lamar Jackson or whoever else operate an offense on more than just two yards. So I think the idea of a 25-yard or even 50, some people say start at midfield and let each team have a, have a drive from midfield. But let's talk about the John Harbaugh Ravens idea for overtime. It's called Spot and Choose. And a lot of people aren't familiar with it, but the way John Harbaugh described it was it's kind of like two kids splitting a cookie. You know, this has happened forever and ever and ever. One kid breaks the cookie. The other kid gets the choice of which half he wants, right? Because, you know, the first kid breaks it, the second kid gets the choice. So when when the first kid knows that's the choice, he's going to make sure that cookie is cut as evenly as he can make it. But the way the spot and choose idea would work for John Harbaugh is this. The coin flip happens, and one team declares where the spot will be for the ball to begin overtime. The other team then decides whether they want to play offense or defense on that spot. So imagine in that game the other night, maybe the Chiefs win the win the toss, and they say, all right, we're going to put the ball at the 12-yard line going out. In other words, 88 yards from the goal line. Okay, Bills, you can have the ball and play offense, or you can play defense. And the Bills, honestly, would have probably played offense at that point and put the hands in Josh, in Josh Allen. And maybe the Bills go right down and win the game, and then the Chiefs are still arguing because they never got the ball. However... John Harbaugh claims that is a more fair, equitable solution. Now, there, is a, there were two proposals the Ravens put up to the ownership, to the competition committee and to owners last year regarding this spot and choose idea. One was exactly as I described it. It was sudden death. You, you spot, you choose, and you play first team to score wins. The other one that John Harbaugh and the Ravens proposed was a full overtime of seven minutes and 30 seconds. You still do spot and choose. One team spots the ball, the other team starts play, but 
you play an entire game of seven or entire quarter of seven minutes and 30 seconds. And the score at the end of that 730 is the score of the game. So it would not be sudden death. It's possible. We've seen the Ravens run eight, nine, 10 minute drives. It is possible that you could have a team control the ball the entire 730. No doubt about that. But those were two overtime alternatives that the Ravens proposed to the NFL ownership last year. They were both roundly defeated in voting of the owners. John Harbaugh hasn't spoken yet after the season. We'll ask him whether he plans to propose it again. I suspect they will, and I think there might be a little more support for at least looking at overtime. But what do you think about the spot and choose idea now that I explain it to you? I don't like it. I, I think I think what college football has, I think that's, that's the way to go. I, th- I think you got to take the fans in consideration. You know, like people got to go to work tomorrow. You know, like everybody ain't playing in the NFL, right? You know, so it's only was let's say 120 people or uh, 250 people that are out there on the, on the field watching that. I mean, that are actually playing in that game. You know, the players and then the staffs. You know, that's out there that's helping out. But everybody else, they got they got ordinary nine to five jobs in the morning. They got to get up and go to work. You know, so some of these jo- these games end late, you know, so when they're ending late like that, I think putting the ball on the 25 yard line, you know, going in, I think is an excellent opportunity for the game to be over pretty quick. You know, if you can't get in the end zone, you kick a field goal. Then the other team get the opportunity to do the exact same thing. They can't get in the end zone, they kick a field goal. You know, and the way the way that game was going last night, that game could have lasted another freaking 20 minutes, another <laughs> another 20 possessions probably because nobody could stop Josh Allen. Nobody could freaking stop. Uh, Mahomes on the other side. I mean, it was a very, very fun game to watch, right? You know, but who wants to see it end with just one of those guys getting a shot and the other guys not getting a shot? I mean, that's not fair. You know, he's put in the work the entire game just like you did. Um, and you want to see it end. You know, you want to see it end. And I think you, when you look back at the Ravens, let's just, just take the Ravens in, into consideration. You know, you had all these opportunities throughout the year where, you know, we went for two or we went for one or whatever. We could have tied the game up with a field goal and nobody wanted to go through that situation and give the other team a chance to get the ball first and then go down and win the game without you being able to do anything, right? So you make these choices and decisions based off, I'm not trying to give them, I'm not going to let this, you know, happen with a flip of the corn. Corn, um, I'm going to try to get this thing over with right now. And I think that's what happens. But if you, if I know my offense gets a chance and their offense gets a chance and my offense is rolling just like your offense is, I'm going to take my chances with my offense. You know, I think my team is better than yours. To me, I feel like if I was a kid and I'm outside playing Sandlot football and they came down to the end of the game and we was like, all right, mom and dad is calling us in for dinner right now and it's getting late. All right, guys, it's a, it's a tie game. We can't end it like like this, you know, like, how, you know, my, we get the ball first, then you guys get the ball. You know, whoever scores first, I mean, whoever scores wins. You know, whoever don't score loses. You know, and you try to do that really, really quick, right? Put the ball at the goal line, and you're going to probably try to run through somebody, <laughs> lower your shoulder and run them over, man. So that's what you would do as a kid. I think it would bring, like, a lot of that that Sandlot feel back to the game of, the fo- of football and NFL. And at the end of the game, this is a kid's game that grown men still love. I, I, I don't know. I, I think anything else – like even right now, when they put another what twelve minutes on the clock or whatever they put on the top clock for, I think that's too long. You know, give them the ball at the twenty yard line. It's usually hard to score in the red zone anyway. You know, so you're gonna end up with a field goal ninety percent of the time or fifty percent of the time. You're gonna end up with a field goal, and then the other times, you know, the team that scores and the team that don't score loses. Well, I think I think a, a move toward the college game would be interesting. I think the spot and choose thing still won't have a lot of traction with the owners, but we'll see if they even propose it again. The way it would work is in any of these overtime rules is 
a, a team would have to propose the change to the competition committee. The competition committee would look at it and submit that change idea to the ownership who would then vote on it at the spring meetings. And so I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I would strongly suspect that the overtime rules will again get another look. And I think there's definitely more drumbeat, I would say, for an idea like the college game where you just go from the 25-yard line going in. Because first of all, you have immediate action. You know you're already in scoring position. A sack might knock you out of scoring position, but you should be able to kick a field goal even if you don't move the ball at all. But And it's not like soccer penalty kicks to end the game, which I, I detest. And could you imagine the NFL going to like a field goal kicking contest for overtime? That's basically what the penalty kicks are. The Ravens would probably love it. They have Justin Tucker, but it would be a terrible idea. And I think of all the possibilities, I think the college game has it right in that regard. I think it should be time too, Bo. You know, like you giving the ball on 25 and give them one minute. You know what I'm saying? Like you got, now you press with time. You know, so the people can go home at the end of the night. They ain't got to be there for another hour watching overtime, you know, second overtime, third overtime, fourth overtime. You know what I'm saying? Make it time. You know, so if you don't score within that one minute, then the ball, it, it switches over and down. You know, so I think I think that would give it a hurry up offense type of feel. And it's a, you know, crunch time. Like we got to get it done right now type thing. That's an interesting concept. If you were to change it to a one minute overtime possession, there's going to be a sense of urgency that also adds to the drama and and honestly might create a mistake or a big play by somebody. Overtime probably won't drag out that way, but it would guarantee that both teams get the ball. And that's a lot of what a lot of people say is both teams should have the chance to handle the ball in overtime. That is a decision that we made at the NFL competition committee level, whether there is any change to the overtime period. We don't know, and we will follow that over the course of the spring. John Harbaugh is yet to speak after this season. He's been kind of radio silent. When he does have his postseason news conference, we will be sure to be back with another episode. We'll try to parse what he had to say and what the Ravens' plans will be going forward. For Daniel Wilcox, this is Bo Smolka on the Believe in the Ravens podcast on the Believe Podcast Network.